0: Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at BYTE.com. That's B Y T E.com. Start your confidence journey today with BYTE. Yeah, I'm going to tell you, baby, that brown liquor Nick, my heart go quicker. Welcome to the Leisure Class. I'm your host, Jack Song, a podcast dedicated to turning you on to the good stuff a gathering place for the many kindred spirits I am grateful to call friends. Musicians, writers, artists, chefs, cocktail wizards, and wine geeks. All members of the Leisure Class. class. One of my favorite parlor games to play when hanging out with folks, is to ask who their influences and inspirations are, and not just in their chosen artistic discipline, but in their lives as well. My guest today is at the top of my own list, is one of the premier New York City session guitarists, a first-call studio musician for several decades, who has played on literally thousands of recordings throughout his career appearing on famous artist albums and hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of jingles. He turned down offers to join the Doobie Brothers, Toto, and also the band whose work he is most famously known for, having played the iconic solos on Steely Dan's hit, "Reeling in the Years. Elliot Randall was my guitar teacher after I got out of music school. I was introduced to him by a mutual friend, a keyboard player in the band I was playing in around the Hartford, Connecticut area. That connection is one of the milestones in my life, affecting my direction in ways I did not comprehend at the time. Thank you so much for being here, Elliot. It's good to be back with you. It's been too long. Can you explain to the audience exactly? what a session guitar player does?
1: Hmm. You get called a lot of the time for who you are and what you're going to add. In other words, the contractor or fixer, as they're called over here knows your strengths and weaknesses and will hire you based on what they think you can bring to the project. And those to me are really the the, the most fun kinds. Well, you get a chance to be you yeah. and not have to
0: provide, you know, Oh can you play like so and so? Absolutely. Or, uh, to, you know, absolutely. Is, that's well, the you know, I,
1: <laughs> I I did spend a lot of years in parallel with trying to do artistic projects with doing um commercial advertisements. Right. All right. I mean in a sense Doing that freed you up to do the other kind of projects that you really, the, I, I say you, that I, I really wanted to do. So what that would mean is coming in for the call would be, you know, something for Coca-Cola or McDonald's or something silly. And you would um, come in for the call would be for an hour or an hour and a possible 20 minutes. You right. might run 20 minutes over time, sometimes an hour and 40 minutes over time. And, um, you would play loads of them and in those cases they the contractors weren't as concerned with your own personal uh artistic styles as can you cover the gig we had a we had a um, a system called radio registry which had a list a four-page list of all of the recording musicians not all, but most of the recording musicians in New York. So the contractor would say, I need a drummer and a bass player and two guitar players and two keyboard players and blah, 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 blah. And the contractor would look at the list and, um, you know, just sort of check off whoever they wanted to. <laughs> <And>
0: <laughs> it was funny because I was going to ask you about radio registry um, because, you know, again, we have to remind people this is in the days before cell phones
1: and you know Even the days before beepers, that's true, that's true too.
0: So it was this central, you know, registry that people would call, uh, like you just described for the gig. And, that's right.
1: Uh, that's right. Was, and there were a couple of very centrally located registry telephones in in the New York recording area. We had one of the the, the um, Edison Studios over okay. Times Square. Um, there was one at Jim and Andy's, this famous bar, where okay. any musician, any musician would just walk over to the phone and say, "Hey, I'm Joe Bloggs. You know, right. uh, anything for me?" <laughs> <laughs>
0: well, they who who opened the the bar Possible Twenty? Um, there was actually there was actually a bar like not too far from Times Square. That's
1: right. Possible Twenty actually was the reincarnated version of Jim and Andy's. Okay. Got it. And if I'm not mistaken, uh, I would imagine that Alan Schwartzberg probably came up with the name because he was okay. really big into, into the, the humor of the day. Right. So, man, <laughs> uh, Alan Schwartzberg,
0: great and just nonstop working drummer in the years that I was in New York. I, uh, quick, just a side story was uh, the one time that I actually got a check that I needed to go to the union for uh-huh. <laughs> one session that I did in my entire time I was in New York. Yeah. I happened to be standing in line behind him as he picked up his checks. And again, oh, these goodness. are in the days before electric transfers or, you know, deposits right. <laughs> and stuff. And I swear to God, he had a stack that that had to be five inches tall of checks from all the sessions that he was. Oh yeah. yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he used to describe it as we take shopping bags to the union <laughs> for our checks.
0: Well, you guys, I mean, there was, you know, a small core group of musicians, which you were part of, that did the vast majority of a lot of those sessions at that time. That's Um, true. That's true. And, you know, so, you know, it was a tight... Everybody knew each other, from what my experience was, um, and it seemed to be a fairly supportive gang of of folks.
1: Oh, it was. It was. It was, um, you know, with all of the... You see these films about the wrecking crew, in right. LA you mm-hmm. know um, we just called ourselves the cats hey we're the cats <laughs> got it <laughs> and um, yeah i mean there were like you know a dozen or more guitar players a dozen or more drummers and everybody was really good and most of us really liked each other a lot so yeah. there was there was a, a great social hang as well as you know the actual professional remit
0: so like in a in a typical day back in the day in new york um, while you were doing it like, how many
1: sessions would you do in a day? Oh, in my, day? Heyday, in my heyday, probably anywhere between six and eight or nine. Words, you, you could be going for an hour, an hour, another hour, another couple of hours, you know, from nine or generally ten in the morning until, right. you know, the evening time, which became the time for doing records. Right
0: okay so and I'm you're moving in from, generalities here of course, yeah you know, yeah but, no yeah. of course and that's i just want people to get an idea of what um again what a session guitar player what the work is like and you know you had really cemented yourself in that world and turned down a lot of gigs offers to go either be part of a band or to tour indeed um, that's what right. was was it just if you leave town you're going to get someone's going to take your chair and you're not going to get well, back? Or what was the funny, reasoning? Funny that? you
1: should say that there was, there was a belief among a lot of my peers that that could happen. So I did, you know, I, I did turn down a lot of bands and I'll tell you about that in a minute, but um, I always sort of tried to, to get maintain some sort of a balance because if I stuck myself in New York all the time, I wouldn't have the opportunities to go out and play on some of the really nice big stages. So, um, but, I mean, session work was really my bread and butter. And uh, in 1969, to answer your question about me and bands, I was in a group called C-Train. right? And um, we were out in California. It was Andy Kohlberg on flute and Richard Green on fiddle and Don Kretmar on bass and and alto sax. It was an amazing group. Um, But we had our problems like most bands have. And at one point I remember the band deciding to fire the singer and (laughs) always fun. Yeah, it does. (laughs) And, um, it just, it caused all this really emotional turmoil. Um, and I don't mean to be melodramatic, but in a sense, I never got over it. You know, it was like, it, it, it it felt to me at that point and I was sort of getting into Um, psychology at that point, you know, Mm -hmm. both both as an amateur, you know, wannabe psychologist and also as a psychotherapy patient. And I decided that being in a band was much akin to being in a family. Um, Absolutely. And families are, are for the most part. um,
0: They're complicated. Yeah. (laughs)
1: Like
0: most relationships, but yeah, absolutely
1: dysfunctional it was dysfunctional family that's the word i was looking for so from that point on i was always wary of belonging to a band i would go out on gigs you know for you know singers who would be hiring musicians to do stuff so i'd be in their band for a small amount of time uh i spent which um for better and worse because it taught me an awful lot about show business Sure. Uh, I thought the music end of it was a little bit wanting because I was really a do-up kid myself. Okay. And it, it was just not really, really authentic do-up, but I did it for a year. And at the end of the year, I was like, yeah, it's really time to go now. <laughs> um, but no, I turned down offers, you know, Donald and Walter offered me to be, you know, in Steely Dan. Right. Uh, several times, which was interesting. Um, Toto. That was a group I really, really liked, and if there was one regret that I would have, it would have been Toto. Oh wow, you know, I, I, I did not know that that, that
0: that came up. Yeah, interesting. I
1: absolutely loved Jeff Porcaro. Oh yeah, well. and, and and his brothers mm-hmm. and David Page. You know, it was it was a real love fest. Um,
0: yeah, you would have been a great addition to that that band. Well, thanks, oh, man. <laughs> Thank so you know, you mentioned uh, Donald and Walter, obviously. Donald Fagan and Walter Becker from Steely Dan. Can you tell us about how that initial relationship came about?
1: Oh, sure. Um, back in round about into 1970, 71 maybe, um, I was part of a backup band for Jay and the Americans. Okay. And Donald and Walter happened to be in the band.
0: That's wild.
1: <laughs> Go figure. Yeah. yeah.
0: Wow. Uh, <laughs> I mean,
1: three people who—what are they doing here? You know. Right. Uh, but it was cool. Um, one of the Americans, Kenny Vance, discovered discovered early on that Donald and Walter had really good writing skills, and he took them into the studio, and I was asked to come and play on a bunch of their demos. Okay. Um, and. In a way, Steely Dan was sort of being pre-birth at that point because after they did those demos, the demos wound up in LA and, um, and Donald and Walter got a gig for ABC Dunhill Records, first as writers and then as recording artists. Um, and um, it was very convenient. I mean, I, we, you know, <laughs> um, it, just, it just happened to be that I was in LA when they were recording the first album. And um, they called me in to do the beginning of Reelin. As it turned out, I mean, you know, Donald, uh, Denny Diaz, amazing guitar player. Yes, absolutely. And Jeff Baxter is Jeff Baxter. (laughs) The multifaceted skunk, yeah. Yeah. So for some reason, whatever both Denny and Jeff were doing, wasn't making them happy wasn't making you know donald and walter happy Mm -hmm. so they asked me if i would come and give it a go and i did and it was an amazing time it was like a first take
0: it's incredible so we're just so everybody knows we're talking about and i wanted to ask you to like walk us through that (laughs)
1: little session
0: um you know we're talking about elliot's solo on reeling in the years which has been lauded as one of the great solos in rock history jimmy page his favorite solo of all time and that's quite an accomplishment and it's just the signature riff as soon as you anyhow so you yeah, get the so- call you go to the studio and what what happens <laughs>
1: um well they played the tune down for me once i thought oh this is really nice i like this mm-hmm. uh and i said um Have you got a set of lyrics I could look at So that I can really relate whatever it is that I'm playing To the mood of the song And they said yes I looked at the lyrics And I said right let's give it a go (laughs) (laughs) And um, Whatever I played We'll never know Because it wasn't recorded but oh, what? <laughs> according according to the people in the studio, they thought it was way more burning than the one that you're hearing now.
0: Oh, wow.
1: So, but it was one of those, you know, the end, the, 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 the tape finishes right. and Gary says, can we hear that back? And the poor assistant engineer goes, oh, I never recorded it. Oh, <laughs> so, God, man, I had so, no idea. <laughs> Yeah, but you know, it's one of those times, one of those moments where you just have to shrug your shoulders and say, "Right, let's get on with the, you know, doing another yeah, day." Yeah,
0: right. Yeah. So, you used your Strat. Your you It know, was the Strat. Strat sixty one.
1: Um, yeah, yeah. sixty three. Sixty
0: three. Sorry. Um, That's okay. The um, and I was reading uh, maybe on your site or uh, that you were playing through an SVT head.
1: SVT amp, the whole, the whole nine yards, all eight speakers. Which is a bass um,
0: amp, like incredibly <laughs> insanely powerful bass amp.
1: <laughs> yes, yes, go and, figure.
0: And were, did you have, you know, I want to talk to you about, you know, the fact that you're an early adopter of a lot of electronics for guitars and into indeed, expanding indeed. that tonal range. Were, were you using a pedal? I mean,
1: well, no. <clears throat> this is the perfect example, of, another perfect example of fate, really. <clears throat> In New York, as you know, all the studios have amps, right? You know, it could be a little amp, it could be a big amp, but there's an amp California. Right. Not true. California, all the guitar players have their Cardage company wheeling half a dozen amps so that they can charge the client double what it is that's costing them for the cartage. Right. Um, <laughs> so no, there were no amps. And as it turned out, Dennis Weinrich, who I've become friends with over here in London, he's, he, he's quite the really great recording engineer producer. Okay. Um, he was working at the Village Recorder that, at that time. That's where we recorded the album, the Village Recorder in Santa Monica, California. Right. Um, and um, 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 so then I said, Look, there's a storeroom next door, and I got my amp over there. Would you like to try it out? <laughs> And I was like, well, no other choices, you know. So Roger Nicholson, I went next door, got the amp, lugged it out, looked at each other like, oh, my God, this is going to be interesting. (laughs) And cranked it up to 11. And um, I remember Roger actually had a pair of of, of, um, JPL, uh, you know, Jet Propulsion Laboratory hearing protectors. Oh, wow. Okay. But he was walking around the studio as I was playing, and he just found the sweet spot. And you know, a lot of engineers will say, "Oh, I use three mics or whatever." Right. He used one mic. He used a, an AKG four fourteen, wow. and just placed it in the right, right place. Spot. So you get the sound coming off the the speakers. You get a bit of the the resonance of the wood of the amplifier cabinet. You get a teensy little bit of room bleed, and everything happened just right.
0: Man, well, just and. <laughs> the amazement that I've gotten thinking about that amplifier, just so our listeners know, an Ampeg SVT uh, is about the size of a refrigerator. It's, yes. it's got yes. um, eight eight inch speakers, that's eight that's, tens, eight tens. Yeah, which are those for a guitar player. Not always the, the one, but I mean, you <laughs> and I both use super, so um, that's
1: right. We're both 10 inch guys. Yeah. So, yeah. <laughs>
0: But no, I've been trying to convince people of that for a long, long time. Yeah,
1: that was Uh, one of the most powerful amps I've ever used. Well, I've used a lot of powerful amps.
0: I saw 100 100 watts at least, maybe 200. Mm. I mean, it's crazy and it's, you know, built for mainly clean bass tones. But when I saw the Stones, (laughs) when I saw the Stones in 72, they had a wall. Keith was playing through, I don't know, five of them. And there were five of them (laughs) them behind Bill Wyman and... um, uh mick taylor That's yeah it's crazy yeah. you know but a very particular sound and iconic man it's amazing how the you know wonderful little magical accidents
1: indeed indeed it's very funny you know i just literally got an email this morning off of my website with the guy asking me about you know did i use any pedals on real and so I'll, yeah. I'll be typing to him shortly <laughs> but really you know i mean it's it's sort of cliche but a lot of the components of a player's sound is what come from, comes from their fingers. Oh, yeah. Both from the fingers on the neck and also from the way you hit the strings. So um, it's all so personal. and um, You know, it, it kind of makes me laugh these days because everybody's into the latest, greatest. Now it's the latest, greatest copies of vintage stuff. Right, right. And to me, you know, you just you plug an instrument in and if it works, it works. And if it doesn't, it doesn't. Yeah. Um, maybe that's the old studio musician to me because back in New York, some of the times the amps that we would use were weren't the best, but you know, you yeah, just
0: I, I think a lot of it, you know, and you know, you know, I spent a whole bunch of years in the industry convincing <laughs> convincing guitar players that they needed a particular piece of gear, right? Sure, but there sure. is that, you know, it's this search. I think there's a mentality and a search for some secret sauce. That if I use the fuzz pedal that Jimi Hendrix used, or if, if I use the new version that George Tripps at Way Huge made for MXR, the Gypsy Fuzz, oh that's the band of Gypsies ta- I'll be able to play like Jimmy. I mean it's right. that whole you know crazy, <laughs> crazy myth, and you know, you're going to plug in, I'm going to plug in, you know, Eddie Van Halen plug in to different rigs and it's going to sound like us. There's just no exactly. way way around it, you know. Exactly. So your two latest solo projects, so, solo CDs that you did, mm-hmm. Heartstrings and Virtual Memory. Right. And, yeah. and they're different than I think maybe people would expect. Indeed,
1: you. indeed. Well, you know, there's a lot of different pieces of my sort of, pursuing the lost chord, as it were. Mm-hmm. Heartstrings was was basically an acoustic album, little touches of electric, but it was meant for a really sort of chilled, laid-back experience. Mm-hmm. And I have a wonderful engineer over here uh, who really understands microphones and their relationship to the instruments. And, uh, you know, my uh, Gibson, I have a, 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 sorry, a Martin D-28. You're really, on. really nice. It's very, very sweet. I bought it. At, did I buy it? at Rudy? No, no. I bought it at uh, We Buy.
0: Probably, yeah. Of all places, yeah. yeah.
1: Yeah, and um, I've had it since the middle '70s. Nice. So it's really quite mature. Yeah. And uh, that, and a good microphone, and we're off. That's great. So, so I did that, and then virtual memory is a combination of, of stuff. It's both new and experimental stuff, mm-hmm. and some of it has tracks that I did years before that I just sort of retailored to who I think I am these days.
0: Well, yeah, I was looking at the the credits and a little bit of the history that said that it came from from different time periods. And yes. do you ha- uh, you have a studio in your house? In I, London? Do. Okay. I do. Okay,
1: I'm very fortunate. I have That's my own awesome. little. It's 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 really more of a production room than a studio. Okay. If I want to do drums, I t- I go downstairs to the living room and we have a beautiful acoustic space that I can use. But for the most part, I'm up in my little. Office, Studio Suite, which this is it. Okay. Virtually all of the tools that we used to use in real studios, uh, the hardware tools, have become software tools now. Right. Some of them better than others, obviously. But if you know what you're doing, you can pretty much get what you need. Right. Um, Having said that, there's still nothing like being in the same room as a bunch of people playing music together. Absolutely. Nothing will ever, ever replace that.
0: Absolutely not. But I wanted to ask you, so were you, I mean, you've always been at the, you were at the forefront of the, the web and embracing, like I said earlier, you're an early adopter of technology and, and fun stuff. Mm-hmm. And oh yeah, while you were doing these particular uh, things, were you sending files back and forth across the, you know, inner tubes to other uh, players? Some or? of them, yeah,
1: yeah. Yeah. A couple of them. Um, there's a very long jazzy one that Miles Davis, he kind of piece of music. Mm-hmm that uh, I first did. It was just me and my, uh, a guitarist friend of mine. Okay. That's about eight or nine minutes worth of just playing freeform. And at the end of it, I said, you know, this, this could really be good. I wonder if we could add some people on it. Nice. And we wound up, I, you know, I, I threw uh, the files over to a really, really lovely um, acoustic bassist, and he sent me back a beautiful bass file. Nice. We did it to click, by the way, even though it's free, so that there's always a time reference. Right, right. Um, and then I sent it over to Alan Herman, who at that point was still living in New York. Okay. He lives in China now, of all places. Go figure.
0: Really? Wow.
1: Yeah, yeah. Okay. But, yeah, I mean, the technology exists to yep. where you get musicians, certainly, who are sensitive enough to each other. You can make something that sounds... Pretty much like you are in the same room it, at the same time.
0: Yeah, I've had, I've had some good luck with working with some Italian musicians in Italy on some of oh. my stuff. And that's how we've been doing it, because the project started pre-pandemic, and then we had all those plans, and then it all got shut down. So we, we were just slinging, slinging files back and forth and writing tunes together that way. You know. Oh, that's great. Yeah, it was yeah, it was fun. I can't wait to actually, you know, play with the band, though. That would be great. So, <laughs> Of course.
1: Well, you know, I mean, we're in a funny time these days, Jack. I think, um, I mean, no mask, as you can see today. But yeah. when I gave a lesson earlier to this really wonderful guitar player, uh, I wound up wearing a mask and keeping yeah. the windows wide open. And I, I kind of hate the fact that we're, you know, sort of subject to covid madness but it ain't over yet no and, uh, i i'm still healthy you know knock on glass here <laughs> <Yep>. and uh <laughs>
0: looking well thanks yeah it's definitely you know i mean i'm here in in mississippi and there's all kinds of resistance oh sure you know and um but i'm on my way to get my fourth booster oh, <laughs> next good. week um so but i've been lucky i think i had it very mild Got through uh-huh. it and, you know, off and running. Great, great. Is there, I'm going to end with this one today. All these people that you've played with throughout your entire yeah. career, your entire life, um, is there one artist? I know you said you regretted not going out with, you know, joining Toto. Mm-hmm. But is there another artist that, you know, you wish you could have played with or want to put, you know, past or present, want to uh- pl- have played with?
1: Yeah, I can name you loads of them. Um, I did get to play a little bit with Jimi Hendrix. Yeah, I was going to ask. And um, it was always a wonderful experience. I mean, we both listened as much as we played. Yeah. Which is what makes music. music. Abs-
0: absolutely. Uh,
1: I wish I had had more time to play with Jimi. Okay. Um, I knew Stevie Ray from doing a little bit of touring. Uh, I'd love to play, to have played with him. Yeah. I mean, he was just a very inspirational. I did the same stable as Jimmy in sure. quite a few ways. You know, yeah. we just sort of, we all were into the electric part of the electric guitar. Yes,
0: exactly. Yeah. And yeah. he opened, uh, Stevie Ray opened for Straits in Canada for a few gigs. So oh. I got a chance to hang with him and listen to him. You know, I stood by the soundboard and got my ears blistered, but and enjoyed every oh, it, note, you
1: know, you No, know, he was remarkable. Yeah. He really felt it. It was, he was the real deal. Yep. You know, there's guys out there now who are sadly less than the real deal, who were quite idolized, but it's not sour grapes. It's just the way it is. You know, yeah. some people, uh, absolutely. everybody likes different people for different reasons. Yeah. All right. I wouldn't have minded playing with, with Frank Sinatra. Wouldn't have minded playing with Tony Bennett. Oh yeah. I could see
0: that. I could see you doing that for sure. That would have been amazing. I mean, for, yes. you know, yeah. I've, I came to, you know, I grew up listening to Frank Sinatra because of my parents, obviously, but, you know, kind of uh-huh. came back around, you know, after a bunch of years of not listening to him and just, you know, it's one, of, absolutely one of my favorites, one of the greatest.
1: Yeah. Well, there are so many different styles that one can appreciate. You know, I'm, I'm at a really left field. I mean, when people ask me who my first guitar heroes were, uh, they were, you know, people my mom took me to see. Andres Segovia, okay. Carlos Mantoya, yeah. uh, and then Manita Steplata—yes, the total gypsy passion, you know. Uh, so here I am playing rock and roll. <laughs>
0: well, you know, and you—I mean, you studied with Roy Smeck, right? Wasn't indeed, Roy-
1: indeed. You know, yes.
0: and that's—that's that's not a rock and roll guitar player.
1: <laughs> no, no, but you know what? <laughs> he would have been <laughs> right. Okay, he was—he <laughs> was wonderful. He just—he understood. Uh, not just music, but he understood entertainment as well. Mm. He was he was a consummate entertainer. He was a vaudevillian, you know. He yeah, got brought up and playing music in the twenties and whatever. Well, he was born in the year nineteen hundred.
0: That's amazing, man. Yeah, I, had, you know, that entertainment part of it. You know, you coming to see me play with Jane Alderman at a oh, club. Yes. I don't know if you remember oh, this at yeah. all, but you know, coming to see it, and after the first set. I sit down at the table with you and you ask me, Are you having a good time? And I said, Yeah, (laughs) yeah, of course. I'm playing guitar. And he's, Well, it sure doesn't look like it. I was like, Oh, that's weird. Okay. And then you sat in and just like tore the place up, grinning, you know, just so engaged. You were performing. And it was like, after I saw you do that, it was like I got permission to do it. That I, I, you know, (laughs) For having wow, watched, I'm oh man, having watched you know Hendrix and the Stones and the you know the Beatles, not so much, but you know mm-hmm. I was definitely into you know some stage presence, Jimmy, and I always <laughs> yeah, felt that like yeah. you know oh you can't you can't do that, especially when I got to New York, I thought it was like oh you know better not. Sure, that yeah, went man. out the no, window no, after seeing
1: you, man. <laughs> uh, it's very funny, you know, because people think of jazz guys as being cool, you know. Mm-hmm. And I think about seeing Dizzy Gillespie. Oh, and he was just you know having a rip roaring fun time and totally engaging the audience. Yeah, which I think is so much of a part of what—not just what we do, but what we should be doing. I agree, you know, hundred percent. Connection—it's yeah. it's not just the music. You don't just close your eyes, and I mean, some people do, and that's okay. You right. know, you just let all the complex waveforms go by you. But <laughs> being able to see somebody enjoying themselves doing something, you become a part of it. Another band that I. I the client was the Doobie Brothers.
0: Oh, wow. Yeah,
1: I used used to go out and do shows with them. I I would go out for a week or two.
0: Yep, I saw you Uh, with them uh, on Long Island, I think. We went out That I I saw you play with them. And it was amazing. Uh And that band was amazing.
1: It it was. it, It was truly amazing. But, you know, the thing that made the Doobie Brothers so special to me, aside from having great material, is that they gave every show 150%. Yeah. And they got back 150% from yeah. the audience, yeah. which is just, amazing, just the most wonderful feeling in the world.
0: I, I couldn't agree more, man. I mean, and that's why certainly when, you know, it's been it's been the same. Honestly, man, from that moment, from playing that gig with you, I've told this story to so many other people that, you know, I approached every gig I did after that as if I was, Planned to 80,000 people at Wembley Stadium. I just, I was having too much fun, man. I was just like, you you were right. <laughs> people want to see someone do something that they can't do and enjoy themselves. Yeah, and, yeah. you know, it was fabulous. And I, that was of all the lessons, of all the lessons that you taught me, all the guitar <laughs> stuff, all the guys to listen to, man, that, that changed, that changed my life.
1: That's People wonderful. Like, That's, that, you know, that makes me feel amazing. Well, brother, I miss you. I'm
0: glad we were able to too. check. And I hope, you know, when things get a little bit, you know, loosened up that maybe I can get over to London and hang out a little bit.
1: Face-to-face would be fantastic. That'd
0: be awesome. Knee-to-knee, knee, maybe do a little couch, couch yeah, playing. Yeah, yeah. That'd be fun. right here.
1: It's right <laughs> over there. I With see the ampersand on it.
0: That's great. To say I studied guitar with Elliot doesn't really give credit to all that I learned from him. We actually played very little guitar in my lessons, and I'm using finger quotes here, y'all. We spent far more time talking about music, the philosophy of guitar playing, and things like the importance of listening before playing a note. For several months, on Sunday afternoons, I'd take the bus from Hartford to New York City and make my way to Elliot's very groovy Upper West Side apartment, which was overlooking Riverside Park. And I thought, yeah, this is how I want to live. It was Elliot who convinced me I was ready to move to New York and take a shot at my rock star dream. I'm Jack Sonny and thanks for listening to The Leisure Class, brought to you by Newsweek. You